right, my name's uh, Rev, and I'm responsible for the teaching uh, this afternoon. Um, we're at the start of the summer series. If you've been with us for a few weeks, you know uh, that we've been going through uh, the Gospel of uh, Matthew. And uh, last week, we, we finished off uh, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It begins in chapter 5 and goes right through uh, to the end of chapter 7. And uh, last week, if you remember, we thought about a load of twos. Uh, there were two gates, and two roads, and two crowds, and two destinations. And then we said there were two kinds of prophets. There were two uh, true prophets, and there were false prophets. And there were two kinds of followers. There were true followers and false followers. And then, you know, I'm sure that story very well, there are two kinds of builders, the wise builders and the foolish builders. But we're going to go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount for our summer series. We uh, uh, dealt with the Beatitudes uh, very briefly uh, at the beginning as we uh, started going through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, for our summer series, we're going to look at each one of the Beatitudes Individually, it's my privilege uh, to introduce you uh, to the first of those Beatitudes. It's my privilege because there's nobody else around, actually. They're all on holiday, aren't they? So uh, it's either me or nobody, really. <laughs> well, Jai, see, he could be doing it, but uh, um, So it says this at the uh, beginning of chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went upon a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Some of you know it very well. I can see your mouths moving, uh, saying the words before I get there. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, sometimes, uh, often, Father, perhaps always, your teaching is very challenging, uh, for naturally, Humanly speaking, Father, we uh, are not like the people you would want us to be. Please, Heavenly Father, speak deeply into our hearts and transform us, Father. Please, by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, make us more like Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, the herald... John the Baptist, he prepared the way for the king. His message was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus came, he was the king, he is the king. And his message was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus began to teach his disciples at the beginning of the sermon on the mount and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so, what is this kingdom of heaven then? Well, Jesus' kingdom isn't like any kingdom in the world. I'm privileged to live in the United Kingdom. I hope it long remains united, but we shall see. Uh, there are kingdoms all over the world, aren't there? Iran and Iraq and the Congo and big kingdoms like China. Um, 
But Jesus' kingdom isn't like any of those kingdoms because its origin, uh, its ethos, its culture and its ways are not worldly. Uh, They're spiritual and they're heavenly. Uh, But the kingdom of heaven is demonstrated in and through the church and its true place in the hearts of Jesus' people. You see, everyone who truly confesses Jesus as their Saviour and Lord is, uh, by God's Spirit, united to Jesus as their King to love and serve and enjoy Him forever. And they are brought into the Kingdom of Heaven, even while they are here on earth. So the Kingdom of Heaven is the rule and the reign of Jesus. It's God's people in God's place, under God's rule and blessing. And one important thing to remember is that the kingdom of heaven is a kind of now and not yet kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of grace here and now, and it's the kingdom of glory hereafter. It's the kingdom of grace here and now, it's the kingdom that followers of Jesus live in now. We live under God's grace now. Eternal life starts for us now. Things look different for us now. We are born again now. We have a different set of desires now from those we had before. We are part of the kingdom of heaven now. But the kingdom of heaven is also the kingdom of glory hereafter. The kingdom when Jesus returns at the consummation of all things. Uh, When he takes us to be with him in the new heaven and the new earth. It will be glorious now. In Revelation it says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's the kingdom of glory hereafter. So when John the Baptist, uh, when Jesus the King says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they mean that because Jesus is here now, Emmanuel, God with us, uh, because Jesus is here now, the kingdom of heaven is here now. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom. Now, when Jesus saw the crowd, he went upon a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Imagine these disciples. What was he talking about? This is our king, this is our leader. I wonder what he's going to say. What's he going to say to us? You know, their expectations would be running sky high. Their expectations, you know, they have to be managed. You can be sadly disappointed if you don't manage expectations or somebody doesn't manage expectations on your behalf. I met Dillis when I was 16 and she was 15 about 10 years ago. Um, She was at her garden gate. And we were introduced by a mutual friend called Ryan. And for me, it was love at first. I felt head over heels in love with this beautiful young lady. And we hadn't been going out too long before I asked her to marry me. Actually, I don't think I said anything. 
because we were in the dark. We were watching a film in the cinema. And I plucked up my courage and I slipped a ring onto her engagement ring finger. And she gave me a hug and she didn't take the ring off. So I assumed that was a yes. Um, and a short time later, with a heart full of love and hope and expectation, I went to see her father. I told him I was asking for his permission to marry his daughter. And he said, no way, no way. And he meant it. Oh boy, were my expectations uh, dashed. You see, I needed somebody to manage my expectations, to say, look, a father might think you're both still a bit young for this. Come back in two or three years or something. But there was nobody there. Anyway, uh, our disciples, you know, they have expectations. And their expectations need matching. And Jesus is going to kindly bring them around to right expectations of what life in his kingdom will be like. What are they thinking as they sit at his feet that day? What do they think the kingdom of heaven means? Well, these disciples, they know that the Messiah is going to reign on David's throne because that's what the Old Testament uh, says and they know their Old Testament. But their nation, the nation of Israel, it's been conquered. It's ruled by Rome. Uh, the people have to do whatever Rome says. So if Jesus is Messiah and the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the king is here to inaugurate his kingdom, then there are big issues in politics. We've got a few big issues in politics around us at the moment, haven't we? But there are big issues in politics, these disciples are thinking. The king is going to have to be really politically smart amongst the leaders of the nations. And there are going to be big issues of power. Because Rome is strong and mighty, and this king, presumably, is going to have to gather a huge army to overthrow the might of Rome. And these disciples will be thinking, actually, whoever is close to this king, whoever holds office in his kingdom, they're going to be really, really important. They're going to have loads of money. They'll live in big houses. They're going to be famous. They're going to be like rock stars, if they had rock stars at that time in Israel. They were going to be famous. And these disciples are thinking, we are going to be awesome. But Jesus is going to correct that idea for them. And it's a hard job. Because even at the end of his ministry, just before Jesus is crucified, these disciples are still asking him, which of us gets to sit next to you in your kingdom? And so Jesus begins to teach them the reality of his kingdom and his people. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think, actually, Jesus annihilates their expectations. You see, they're expecting to be kings and conquerors. Jesus tells them, actually, you're going to be aliens and strangers in the world. 
They're expecting a political agenda. Jesus tells them, this is another worldly kingdom. My agenda is wholly spiritual. They're expecting Jesus to say, here's what we're going to do. And Jesus says to them, this is the kind of people that we're going to be. So Jesus opens his teaching not with a kingdom that will be founded on the conquest of kings, but on a kingdom that will be founded on the character of the king himself and the character of his servants. And he tells them that this is what the character of a disciple of Jesus looks like. We'll start with who we are before we talk about what we'll do. And he gives them these statements, I think there are eight of them, the Beatitudes, some commentators think there are ten, and you take it. Um, it gives them these statements, they describe what the character of a follower of Jesus looks like. And good character matters to us, doesn't it? The United Kingdom has a new Prime Minister. The opposition is in some confusion, I think, about who its leader actually should be. Uh, one of the other parties has had its leader resign, and they're currently looking for a new leader right now. Uh, and we care, don't we, about whether our political leaders, both local and national, we care about whether those in authority over us, police officers, judges, teachers, we care that they're people of good character. We care about whether our partner in life, whether our minister, whether the leaders of our church, our boss at work, our friends, we care. We want them to be people of good character. But I wonder whether we ever take time out to ask the most difficult question of all. Am I a person of good character? When I read this list of the Beatitudes, do I see myself anywhere in there? You know, we have a tendency to compare ourselves with other people. Sometimes we acknowledge, don't we, that we have our faults. Uh, but we say, well, I will be perfect, but I'm not like you fill in the name. At least I'm not like that. We excuse ourselves. But as Christians, we're not called to have a comparative character. We're called to have a Christ-like character. The character that Jesus intends to take root in our life, the character described in the Beatitudes, the character that makes us look like aliens and strangers in the world, the character that shows that we are citizens of another kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus begins with the idea of poverty. He says that good character, Christ-like character, takes root in poverty. Uh, some people never know poverty. They've always had sufficient to meet their needs, sometimes more than sufficient to meet their needs. For some people, poverty, not having sufficient to meet your needs, is an everyday experience. Well, having enough money to buy food for the kids at the end of the week, can I afford to pay the electricity bill? What about the rent? 
that Jesus isn't talking about material poverty. He's using the idea of material poverty to teach us a a truth about spiritual poverty. And the fact is, human pride is not related to our wealth or our lack of it. Pride is a heart issue. And pride is at work among people who have sufficient. But pride is also at work amongst people who have insufficient. And when the disciples hear, blessed are the poor in spirit, they're thinking, how is that possible? How is that possible? If we're going to kick out the Romans, don't we need people? Not so many. Don't we need people who are self-confident? Don't we need people who are self-assured? Don't we need people who are self-assertive? Someone to get on with the job? But that's exactly what Jesus doesn't say. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the disciples are thinking, who are the movers and shakers in Israel? Isn't it the scribes and the Pharisees? Don't they pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners with everybody looking on in admiration? Aren't they godly people? And when they give to the needy in the synagogues and on the streets, don't trumpets sound? Everybody thinks, wow, how generous these scribes and Pharisees are. They don't seem poor in spirit at all. They can recite big chunks of the scriptures off by heart and they're very proud of that. So when Jesus says that the poor in spirit are the ones on whom God's blessing rests, the disciples are very confused. Who are you talking about? Who is it then that's blessed by God and given the kingdom of heaven? It's not our religious leaders. If it's not the Archbishop of Canterbury and all his bishops, if it's not the president of the Methodist conference. Well, in Jesus' day, it wasn't the Pharisees who entered the kingdom. They believed they were so rich in merit, they thanked God that they weren't like other people. It wasn't the zealots who entered the kingdom, they dreamed of establishing the kingdom of Israel by the sword. Jesus is telling these disciples, actually it's the hated tax collectors, it's the despised sinners, it's the outcasts of society who knew that they were so spiritually poor they could offer nothing and they could achieve nothing. All they could do was to cry out to God for mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's what it means to be poor in spirit. Someone who is poor in spirit, knows they've got insufficient resources to do anything about their spiritual condition. People who have insufficient resources to do anything about their spiritual condition. How many people in this room does that describe? It describes every single one of us. None of us have sufficient resources to do anything about our spiritual condition, but not all of us may know it. 
Not all of us may see that we've got nothing to offer God, nothing to plead, nothing to buy the favour of heaven with. There was a time when Jesus got into Simon Peter's boat and he asked him to go out a little way from the shore and he sat down and he taught the big crowd around him from the boat. Uh, when it finished, Jesus said to Simon, uh, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Uh, Simon said, look, We've worked all night and we haven't caught anything. We haven't caught anything. Who's thinking, actually, we're the professional fishermen here. You're this kind of creature bloke. We know you're special, but we're the professional fishermen. But because they recognised that Jesus was special, Peter said, because you say so, we'll let down the nets again. Uh, when they let down their nets, they caught this huge number of fish, so many that the nets began to break. They had to get their mates in another boat to come and help them. Uh, they came, but there were so many fish that the boat began to become so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he felt Jesus' feet now. And he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. A simple man. See, that's Peter in poverty of spirit. Someone who sees themselves in front of a holy God and they see they're not even fit to be in his presence. They are spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus says it's these people who see that they're spiritually bankrupt, it's those people who are given the kingdom of heaven. In John's Gospel you can read the account of Jesus and a man called Nicodemus. He says, now there was a Pharisee. That's a very religious person in Israel. He tried to keep all the rules. There was this Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Not only was he very religious, he was numero uno in leading Israel. He was the head officer of the top banana in, the, in the, the Jewish rule. And he came to Jesus by night. He said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. But no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God wasn't with him. And Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. No one can see the kingdom of God. Jesus tells Nicodemus that unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom, much less take hold of it. But to the poor in spirit, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is given. Jesus is describing someone who recognises their great spiritual needs, someone who's been emptied of self-sufficiency, someone who's been emptied of self-assurance, someone who's been emptied of self-confidence. You know, there are lots of resources that will tell you how to be filled with the Spirit. A quick search on Amazon gave me how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How to be filled with spiritual power.
power. That's what I need, actually. How to be filled with spiritual power based on the miracle ministry of John G. Blake. I've never heard of it. I'm not recommending it. But uh, the fullness of spirit, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in victory. I mean, we all want that, don't we? Walk in victory. And Google gave me about uh, 369 million results uh, on uh, how to be filled with the Spirit. Even if I wanted to, I won't live that long uh, enough to read them out. I'll never get through them. I don't think I'll start. God does want us to be filled with the Spirit. He says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them, he says in Ezekiel. He wants to put a new spirit within us and change our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, to give us his spirit to live within us. But imagine I came up to you at a party. It's the go-go, last of the thing. You're having a barbecue at Nick and Claire's. And I say, um, would you give me a glass of wine? And I come up to you with this. Well, actually, you can't give me a glass of wine. You have to empty the water out. And then, Nick, generous Nick, can fill my glass with wine. <coughs> the glass has got to be empty. You can't fill my glass with wine unless you empty the water out first. And the same is true for us. God doesn't pour his Holy Spirit into a heart that's full of himself. He only pours his Holy Spirit into a heart that he has emptied first. That's the picture we have here. That's being poured in spirit we read in Isaiah. But this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. I wonder if you could picture in your mind the worst poverty that you've ever seen. For me, it's some of those pictures of people in drought-stricken Africa where they have the appeals on the TV. A toddler is so thin that you can see their ribs. I think they have a, a swollen uh, tummy. Uh, and when you see close-ups of their faces, there are flies all over them. Death stands at their shoulder, waiting for that child. Have you ever looked at your own soul like that child? Death standing at your shoulder, waiting for your soul? Have I ever seen my spiritual poverty for what it is before God? All the stuff I've filled my heart and life with to make much of me. Do I see that for the poverty of spirit it is? Because until I do, I'm not throwing myself at the feet of Jesus in repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I 
I'll not say that because I'm not even in sight of the kingdom of heaven, let alone laying hold of it. But it's when we get to that point, when we do see our absolute poverty before a holy God, it's at that point that we can be filled. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Only someone who sees and acknowledges their spiritual need to God can be blessed in this way. Blessed. It's a strange word, isn't it? What does it mean? You may be told it means happy. And there's some truth in that, but that can't be all that blessed means. I'm speaking next week, and next week we're going to look at blessed are those who mourn. And happy are the sad seems a bit kind of contradictory, doesn't it? You see, happiness is a subjective state. It's about what I feel. Sometimes we're going to the chippy and we're going to have fish and chips for tea, and I'm happy. It's the summer holidays. Uh, the kids are happy. I don't know about mums and dads, but the kids are happy, really happy. But Jesus isn't talking about a subjective state. He's talking about an objective condition. He's not talking about what you feel like. He's talking about what God thinks about you. And because God looks on you favourably in your poverty of spirit, you're blessed. You might be in dire straits today, but this should give you hope that however difficult your present situation, it will be reversed and hope and peace will break through. Blessed. The Beatitudes all begin with that word, blessed. If you feel poor in spirit, well you are blessed because God is acting graciously to deliver you from your poverty of spirit and bring you into the kingdom of heaven, God's reign of deliverance and of hope, of comfort and of joy. Jesus is saying that we're blessed because God is not distant and absent. He's near and present. We experience God's presence and rule and reign in our lives now. And we'll experience it even more at the end of the ages when Jesus comes in glory to gather his people to himself. These disciples, they began by thinking the kingdom of heaven is given to those like the scribes and the Pharisees, those who knew the scriptures inside out, were proud of their learning. They were filled with pride. But the disciples are being taught, they will come to understand that the kingdom of heaven is not given to the filled, but to the empty. So how do we come poor in spirit? Well, it's not by focusing on ourselves. You know, some people take vows of material poverty. Um, some people separate themselves from the world in kind of closed houses of religious orders. Uh, some people go on pilgrimages to the so-called sacred places. I was uh, doing some research on the internet, and you can go on sacred travel tours. You don't have to break into a sweat to do a pilgrimage these days. You get taken there in an air-conditioned bus, and you, oh, 
Well, it might make you poor, I'm not sure it will make you poor in spirit. Some people arrive at these sacred sites and to show their piety, they cover the final mile or so on their knees or, or crawling on their hands or pulling a big rock uh, to make it harder. I don't quite know why they put photographs of them doing that onto Facebook. Uh, when they do that, is that poverty of spirit? But none of that will work. None of focusing on ourselves will make us poor in spirit. The only way to become poor in spirit is to focus on God. To look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We begin by praying that he will show us our spiritual bankruptcy before him. If you don't read your Bible, Please, can I commend to you? That is God's message of love and hope to you. He reveals the kind of God that he is. In that little passage in Isaiah, he told us something about how high and lifted up he is and how poverty-stricken we are and how he will reach out to us. And why don't you read good books? The first Christian book I ever read was Knowing God by J.I. Packer. For me, it was a, if I call it an easy read, it's a, it's a, a reasonably easy read. It's not a, a kind of, one of heavy theological tomes. It's lovely. And it will point you to how great our glorious God is. There's a book in the Bible called Hebrews. It's a glorious book. It tells you about the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. This is in the library upstairs. Just get and read it. It's glorious. Christ our high priest. Have you read J.C. Ryle? He's an old bloke. He's dead. Even older than me. Uh, but it's lovely. Read something like that. And another dead bloke who is glorious to read. Martin Lloyd-Jones, The Servant on the... Read good books. Uh, look at what they tell you about Almighty God. And be blessed. Right? Think about what God is like. Think about what we are like. Think about what God expects us uh, from us. Contemplate yourself standing before a holy God, as Peter did. In that boat, with a miraculous catch of fish. Look... Jesus, God the Son, as we see him in the Gospels, these disciples looked at him, they watched him, and they implored him, Lord, increase our faith. You know, they've been sent out by Jesus, they preached his word, they even cast out evil spirits from people. Well, then they looked at him again. When they saw what he did, they felt weak and poor. Lord, they pleaded, increase our faith. Don't look at yourself. Look at Almighty God. And the more you look at him, as he reveals himself to be in his word, the more hopeless we shall feel in and of ourselves. And as we pray, as we read, and as we look, we'll find, actually, we don't have to do anything ourselves. It will all be done for us, for we can't truly 
Look at God without feeling our absolute poverty and emptiness. And then we come to Him. And we say in the words of the beautiful hymn, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. How I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. As we say that, God hears. And God draws near to us with words of comfort and hope and joy. Blessed are you, you who are poorer in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Heavenly Father, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to your cross we cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace. Foul we to the fountain fly, wash it, Saviour, or we die. Father, we thank you that you are such a glorious God, holy beyond our understanding. Father, when we look into our own hearts, we are nothing in your sight. Father, our sin and our sinfulness, Father, our selfishness and our pride, how can we be so before you? Please, Heavenly Father, speak to us of our poverty in spirit. Help us to come to you and bless us, Father. Make us Make us your people. Bring us into the kingdom of heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name.